Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. This was a message from a spiritual leader of Israel to the political and military leaders of Israel. The message was clear. Punish what Amalek did to Israel. Utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. God clearly told Samuel to tell Saul to bring the total judgment against the Amalekites. Centuries before this, the Amalekites were the first people to attack Israel after their escape from Egypt. Now the Lord was ready to judge them for their wrongdoing. Now let's join Pastor Rob in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. But let's open our Bibles uh, tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, We're going to take communion tonight, so we're just going to get right into this. Last week we looked at chapter 14, where really Jonathan was the star of the show. We saw that he he really initiated this battle against the Philistines. And in the process of doing that, Saul makes this very rash and ridiculous oath uh, to his army. You know, if you have a man... If you have a man out in the field and they're an army, the last thing you want to do is deprive them of food because they need that. And it's a very physical thing. Even when you are nourished, to be out in the battlefield requires a lot of energy. And, and Saul, uh, feigning to be spiritual, which is really one of his problems, he, just, he was always trying to make it happen instead of just relaxing. And, but he makes this oath that, you know, as they were uh, beating the Philistines and doing, uh, doing pretty well, because of Jonathan again, his faith, not Saul's faith, that we find that his, he makes the oath that no one should eat anything until they finally vanquish the Philistines. And that really created a problem. And, uh, and it, so much so that it caused his army to nearly faint and also put his son, Jonathan, the, the, the one who had the real faith in the family, put his life in jeopardy as well. And a very foolish thing Saul did, and we're going to see tonight that he does another foolish thing that's really going to end his kingdom, and God is going to basically wash his hands of King Saul, and he's going to place his anointing on another, on David. But we're going to see that Saul is still going to reign for a number of years after this, but Saul is going to be so jealous of David that David will be on the run for years, and Saul will be hunting him. 
And so let's get right into uh, chapter 15. Let's just read the first nine verses, and then we'll go back and get into it. So it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me. And, and notice, I, I love how direct Samuel is. And Samuel had this interesting relationship with Saul. I really think he loved them, especially at the beginning, even though um, he had uh, some problems in the sense that he knew that Saul was... Uh, that it was wrong for the country, for Israel, to have a king. But I think he had great hopes for Saul, hoping that he would do well. But Samuel was not afraid to speak truth to Saul. You know, here's this king, the Israel's first king, and Samuel, certainly being an elder statesman at this point, was not afraid to speak truth to this young man who needed, who needed a lot of guidance. He needed a lot of help in his ministry, and Samuel had such a sterling character and such a, a wonderful way about him. He was a real worshiper. He understood God's ways. He understood the way, and Saul did not. And so it was good for Saul to have Samuel around. So finally, in verse 15, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll pause there because they can edit this out. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, and Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. And so here we see this uh, situation where God gives to, to Saul a very clear command, a very clear mission to go and destroy the Amalekites. And we're going to look at the reason why they were to be destroyed. And that's something that we don't always like to talk about, we don't like to think about. And in our culture today, if God was to speak like this, and it was to go out in the, into the papers, he would be canceled. He would be impeached. He would be run out of town for this kind of talk. 
He would, I know for sure. They'd crucify him again if he were here on the earth and speaking these words. But one thing we have to realize is that God is the perfect judge. He's the perfect judge. Only he is. Every other judge who's sitting in a courtroom, sitting behind a desk in a courtroom, is subject to bribes and corruption. And many there are that do receive bribes. Many there are that are corrupted. But, there, but God is not corrupted. He's not, a, he's not able to be corrupted because he is perfection. And so when God says, I want you to do something, you'd better believe there's a very, very good reason. And by the way, because God is a God of grace, he gives much time to repent. He gives space to repent. And I love that about the Lord because otherwise I wouldn't be here because I deserve death. And maybe you feel the same way. Before you came to Christ, all the things that you were involved in, all the things that you did, I know I deserved a flaming hot bolt from heaven just to consume me and there just be a little black spot where I used to be. That's what I deserved. But I'm so glad that in his loving kindness, he loved me instead and he forgave me. So notice back in verse 1, it says, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. And here's the command. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Lord. Listen, Saul, I want you to do something. And this is, we're going to see tonight that this is going to be Saul's last chance before the Lord would take the kingdom from him and give it to someone better than him. And I can say that with all of heaven on my side because that's what the scripture says. Someone better than him. That's what Saul, that's what God wanted Samuel to say to Saul. Someone better than him. We saw that uh, Saul's, um, excuse me, his first mistake in chapter 13. When Samuel told him to wait for him at Gilgal for seven days, and he would come, and at that time they would have a, they would offer a sacrifice, and they would renew the kingdom there, and um, or I'm sorry, they wouldn't renew the kingdom there. I'm, I'm thinking of a, a different chapter there, but but instead of waiting upon Samuel, Saul takes it upon himself because he's losing his men. They're getting really discouraged. The Philistines are amassing themselves. He's getting really anxious, which is very natural. It's very normal. But God set this test up for Saul, and he failed miserably because we know that at the 11th hour, he's like, okay, i got to take matters in my own hands. He himself, a Benjamite, he takes it upon himself to offer the sacrifice on the altar, which only the Levites were supposed to do. And finally, at the last moment, Samuel shows up, and he's like, what are you doing? And Saul gives this great excuse, a couple of excuses, actually. And the Lord rebukes him right there for his disobedience. And then we saw in chapter 14, Saul making rash oaths when his son, who was full of faith, was actually enacting those things that God had told before that he would do through them. And now we're going to see in chapter 15 his last chance at obedience. See, God is more than just the God of the second chance. He's more than the God of the third chance. Often, I know in my life, he's been the God of the hundred chances. And even beyond that, I have frustrated God over my lifetime so much. I can tell you that for sure, and I'm not even ashamed to admit it. I have tested him. I've taken him. And, and, and to me, it's just a testament to his goodness and grace that, I, again, I wasn't snuffed out. Because all my life, rebelling against him, and I'm so thankful that he didn't, that he still loves me, 
and that he still loves you too, regardless of how many times you've made the mistake, regardless of how many times you said, Lord, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to do this. And then you do it again, and then you repent, or that you ask him to forgive you, and he forgives you. And for a while you're doing good, and then you, then you fall into the same sin again. And, and God is always there with an arm open for you. Never forget that. Confess and come and run back to him. Don't listen to the devil's lies. He'll tell you everything. You're not worth anything. God's done with you. Do those voices sound familiar? Your own flesh will do it to you. Sometimes the devil doesn't have to do anything. He can, he can go to Tahiti and sit on the shores of the, of the ocean. He doesn't have to do anything most of the time. We condemn ourselves pretty good. But sometimes he comes in, throws his fiery darts. But it's important for a leader to be obedient and to be holy, to be set apart. And really, that's what Saul wasn't, but that's what God wanted him to be. Wanted him to be set apart. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us the qualifications for an overseer or a, um, an elder, for instance, an overseer, a pastor. He said, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good thing. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, he should be sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And this list here is pretty formidable, and any person who's alive would say, you know, I've failed at some of those things, perhaps many of those things. And see, this, these, these were still, even though these are New Testament things, these are still the qualities that God was looking for in a leader. And we look at Saul's life and we see that he wasn't blameless. I've just underlined a few of these in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Saul wasn't blameless. He wasn't temperate. He wasn't patient. In fact, he was impatient. Sober-minded was something he was not. He wasn't sober-minded. Sometimes he went off the hinge. And especially when the Lord took the spirit away from him and sent an evil spirit to trouble Saul. That kind of, that's kind of interesting, isn't it, for our theology? To think that God would allow an evil spirit to, to, uh, to come against Saul. And of good behavior. Saul wasn't a man of good behavior. And it says that a qualification of, a, of an overseer is one who is not covetous. But we'll see that he was. And we'll see tonight that he was. Many want to be in leadership, and that leadership could be in a company, a Fortune 500 company. It could be in the church. It could be in whatever vocation you're in. Everybody wants to be a leader. But you know what's interesting? Is I've come to understand, and I'm understanding more, is that unless God calls you to that position, you're in very dangerous ground. Unless he has anointed you or ordained you for that, that role, you're in, you're in serious trouble. So many people want to lead, but they don't know how to lead, or God hasn't given them that calling. Some people look the part, but they don't have the heart. The heart is what's most important. We're going to see that tonight. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. But notice what it says here in verse 1. The, the command was, Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. This word heed ought to be familiar to you. It's the, it's the Hebrew word shema. Shema. 
And, and that word is an important word in the Hebrew el- or dictionary. And it literally means to hear intelligently with the idea of doing something about what you've heard. So it's not only hearing, but then responding in obedience, right? That's what the word heed means. It's not just listening, but it's doing it afterwards. And this word, Shema, we know is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You, you recall the verse where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That word here is the same exact word. Hear with the intent of doing something. And see, that's where I think most of us fall short is we, we tend to hear. I'm one of those people for many years, all I did was soak in like a sponge. I heard, I heard, I heard. I listened, I sat under thousands of hours of Bible studies from Pastor Jeff and others. But then if I don't do something about it, if I don't put feet on that, I'm just like the Dead Sea. I'm receiving, I'm receiving, but I'm not giving out. And so it's very important that we receive, but that we give. Otherwise, the water gets stagnant, and then it gets putrid, and then it becomes something it's not supposed to be. And God wants you to be fresh. He wants to, he wants to give you the good things from above, and he wants it to go through you and to minister it to others. It's sort of like you're just a vessel. You're just a conduit of everything that he has, his love, his grace, everything. And that's the way we need to be. And would to God that Saul would have listened and obeyed the Lord, but we know that he didn't. And let me tell you, God has a way of dealing with us if we are stubborn like a mule. If we are just unwilling, unwilling to bend, unwilling to learn, God has a way of making our life uncomfortable. And yes, he does. And he can. And he has the right to do that. Especially if you're a a, a believer in Jesus Christ. I claim to know him. I claim to believe in him. I claim to be, I claim that he is my Lord, right? But in order for him to be my Lord, that means that I've got to obey him. And therein lies the rub, because I don't want to obey anybody. I want to do my own way. I want to be like Sinatra. I did it my way. Not God's way. And hopefully, Mr. Sinatra changed his tune before his end came. That's my hope. I know it was God's hope. But my advice to you is to listen to the Lord and obey him at any cost. At any cost. Especially when it's difficult. Especially when it seems impossible. When it makes no sense. When everybody will laugh at you for you obeying what God has told you to do. Because believe me, sometimes God will cause you to do something that's not going to make sense to everyone around you. Think of Ezekiel. (laughs) Ezekiel, I want you to lay on your side for so many days. And I want you to build this little model out in front. And I want you to do it where everybody can see it. And then I want, for so many hundreds of days, I want you to do that. Then I want to flip on your other side, and I want you to do it. And can you imagine the humiliation that would be for the prophet? God, I'm your spokesman. I'm the one you're supposed to be speaking through. Can't we get one of the other grunts to do that? One of the other, you know, one of the contract employees? You know, Lord? But he goes, no, I want you to do it. In John chapter 14, Jesus, remember, speaking to his disciples, what did he say? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And see, there is the difference between obedience and non-obedience. When we go to Israel, we have this wonderful tour. We go underneath. It's called the Rabbi's Tunnel. And you go right under the western wall, and you walk, and you actually see the foundation stones of Solomon's temple that had been laid a long time ago. And you can actually see, there's, a, there's actually this one spot where you can see the, the limestone foundation and the, 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 the um, ashlars that are placed right on there. And you can see where they placed the very first stones there. It's amazing. It's like you're, you're seeing like a slice and you're, you're walking through it and you see it. But it's built upon a rock. That thing's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's been there for a long time. And, and so, but that's what we need to be like. Our foundation strong. Saul didn't have that strong foundation. He wasn't a worshiper. And notice what it says in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. And here is, here is God's heart, and we'll find out why that is in just a moment. He says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came out of Egypt. And see, the Lord has an excellent memory. He knows everything. He knows everything that happened in the past. He knows your past. In fact, recall, we just, we're in Revelation 20 just a, a week or two ago. And it says that at the great white throne judgment, those who are outside of Christ, who appear before that, not us, the church, but those who are, have rejected Christ, they stand before the Lord in this great white throne judgment, and books are opened. The deeds that they have done are opened, and then the book of life is opened. But God knows all the events of these people, the, the Amalekites, Verse 3, it says, Now go, and here's the command of God, Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And boy, that sounds like a really hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Kill everybody. Again, he'd be impeached for words like that. He'd be canceled. He'd be kicked off Twitter. He'd be kicked off Facebook. YouTube would stop posting his videos. God remembers what Amalek did to Israel, this infant nation coming out of Egypt, just fledglings coming out brand new, and they're traveling. They've got a long way to go, and it's going to take them 40 years. It should have only taken them a couple weeks, but God had to prove them out there. But while they were coming into the promised land, in in route, they were harassed by the Amalekites. In Exodus chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 8, you can just write that reference off to the side here. Let me read it to you. 
Because as they were coming in to, or getting close to the promised land, it says that Amalek came out and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him, and they fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.